On this special bonus episode of A Word from the Valley, we hear the second installment of our midweek Lent series on Luther's small catechism. The topic for the sermon tonight was on the Apostles' Creed. For more information about our faith community at Zion Lutheran Church here in Middletown, Maryland, you can visit our website by going to www.zionmiddletown.org. We hope you have a great day. Back in 2017, the Lutheran Church throughout the world was commemorating the 500th anniversary of the start of the Protestant Reformation. And part of that commemoration, at least in the ELCA, involved the presiding bishop asking congregations to look at the small catechism sometime during the year, whether it be at Lent, Advent, you pick a time and do it. She directed our church publishing house to make all kinds of small catechism resources available to congregations and ministries of the church so that everybody could hold a catechism in their hands, whether it be in paper or if you're lucky enough to get the app, they no longer carry it, but if you still have it all on your phone, you can still use it. Um, you can have it in the palm of your hands, the catechism. Now, up to this point in my ministry, about five years in as a pastor, I've, I've really only used a small catechism for confirmation. And, and looking at the... Co- the small catechism for middle schoolers is very different than looking at a small catechism for adults. You know, I mentioned, I think it was two years ago, that I really, as a pastor, really have two big passions. You know, some pastors have social justice causes as one of their passions. Others really like being administrators. Some have gifts for youth and family ministries. For, For me, my passion lies in the liturgy, leading worship, and in catechumenal studies. So two years ago, you got to see my, my passion when we talked about why we do the things we do in worship, and now you get to see my other passion. So next year, I, I guess I'm going to be useless to you all because I'm all out of passions, right? When I was first ordained, I was bound and determined to approach confirmation differently that both engaged kids, but more importantly, built a relationship with those in the confirmation catechumenal process. But, but I got to tell you, teaching a confirmation class to middle schoolers is very different. For one thing, you know, I can generally get away with a lot more with middle schoolers than I do with adults. For one thing, I can stand on top of a table in confirmation class and not get yelled at. If I was to stand on top of that table right there tonight to talk to you about the conf- about the small catechism, Shirley and Ruth would lose their minds along with all the altar guilt, right? When I teach confirmation to middle schoolers, I have a whole year. I have, we, we meet once a month for, for two hours. You know, I got a lot of time to kill to talk about the Apostles' Creed. Tonight, I have 15 minutes and I, I'm probably going to push it to 20. Just, just going to give you all a heads up there. Um, so back in 2017, I had been teaching confirmation for middle schoolers pretty rarely, but I had yet to do an adult confirmation class. So I decided to take advantage of all the new resources that Osborne Fortress was putting out there for relatively inexpensive prices and some really good stuff as well. And I, and I happened to find this, this book um, by Tim Wangert. Um, I knew Tim, Dr. Wangert, when he was a professor at LTSP before he retired. 
I once got him to do a lecture for me at a, at a rural ministry conference I was helping plan. He is, he's brilliant when it comes to Luther studies. So I knew that, that I couldn't go wrong with the book by Tim Wingert. So before we, we got into that Lent in 2017, I sat down and I read it, and, and I was amazed at all the stuff that I learned about the, the catechism. I learned things that I, that I didn't even know learn in seminary. Since 2017, I have reread this book like five times. I, I've even taken it to the beach, which is sacred reading space for me. Because usually that is just reserved for Star Trek books alone, not theology. I have taken this to the, book, to the beach and read it. I have it all marked up in here. I even went to a lecture that Dr. Wanger was doing, and I, and I asked him to, to sign it. Um, so that I am now like one of his uh, biggest fanboys around. Um, but more so, this is like one of the greatest gifts for the adult catechumenal process. And one of the things that Dr. Wanger mentions in, in his book is the progression that, that Luther uses in the small catechism, which identifies pretty clearly as this concept of law and gospel. Luther begins the small catechism by talking literally about the law, about the Ten Commandments. And, though, and through the, his very simple explanation, he identifies what the purpose of the law for us is. Why is it important to understand the Ten Commandments as someone who is justified by grace through faith and not through my own merits, rights, or claims? Why is it important that we understand the Ten Commandments? Because on the surface, reading the Ten Commandments, one can make the claim, you know, I, I kind of do these things. You know, I haven't killed anyone lately, like literally gone up and and stab someone. I haven't stolen anything, maybe a pencil or two when I was a kid, you know, nothing significant. I love my parents. I forget to call them a lot, but I love my parents, right? I respect them. And, and really, what is the harm in coveting some stuff? You know, I like nice things, so sue me. What, what's, what's the big deal? Like, why is, it, why is it important that we know these things? But as Pastor Diane so brilliantly said last week, and Luther elaborates in his explanations that you know, we're not only guilty when we stab, literally stab someone with a knife, but every time you go down 70 and get off at Bucky's Town Pike, because you're going to Costco, and you see those panhandlers, and you don't do anything to help them, you commit murder, according to Luther's explanation of the small catechism. Every time you do not work for the good of your neighbor, you commit murder. It's not just the literal letter of the law that matters, but it's the spirit of law that matters as well. Luther has used the law to convict us in our sin, but that conviction of the law doesn't just stop with the Ten Commandments. The conviction of the law continues even into the creed. Do me a favor, everybody, if you have your small catechism, open that up. If you have your hymnals, do that now. Open up to the Apostles' Creed. What I'm going to do, I'm going to read it, the, the, and you're going to respond with the, what is this, the vasistas. So the first article on creation, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Vasistas, what is this? I believe that God has created me together with all that he is. God has given me and still preserves my body and soul. Eyes, ears, and limbs and senses, reasons and all mental faculties. In addition, God daily and abundantly provides shoes and clothing, food and drink, 
house and farm, spouse and children, fields and livestock, and all property, along with all the necessities and nourishment of body and life. God protects me against all danger and shields and preserves me from all evil. And all of this is done out of pure fatherly and divine goodness and mercy, without any merit or worthiness of my own at all. For all of this, I owe it to God to thank and praise and serve and obey Him. This is most certainly true. In Luther's large catechism, in which as Pastor Dian said, it's for the pastors he, uh, in order to um, get a better handle on what these things mean. In the large catechism, for his explanation of the Apostle Creed, he says this about the first article. This article would humble and terrify us all if we believe it. Because of watered-down Christianity, where we like to focus you know, just on the beautiful sunsets, human beings being made in God's image with infinite possibilities, babies nestling in their mother's arms and a whiff of apple pie coming from the kitchen on Sunday mornings. Because we're so concerned with, about what makes us feel good as Christians rather than talking about the reality of, of you know, how much we really screw up the mission and work of God. We cannot begin to sense the terror and humility that comes across in this first article. The first article that we live in a created world that comes to us as a sheer gift from God and that we ourselves are creatures, not creators, creatures of this world, comes with an enormous burden. If all that is around us and in us is good, bestowed on us by a good God and received as a sheer gift, then we are in trouble, given what we actually do with creation. What do I mean? Let's, let's look at Luther's explanation again. He says, eyes, ears, and all limbs and senses. Every time you know, we take advantage of our bodies, every time we look with lust at another man or a woman in our hearts, every time we hurt another being or, or view them as less of a human being simply because of who they are, you know, we, we defy God. Every time we take advantage of our, our mental faculties when we don't use our brains to better humanity, Instead, we just better ourselves. We take advantage of what God has given to us. You know, God provides for our shoes and clothing. God cares so much about it that he, that he worries about the, the shoes on my feet. God cares about the food and drink that we all have. Every time that you know, we take advantage of food and we don't share with others, or when we overindulge it on ourselves, we take advantage of everything God has given to us. Every time we take advantage of our house and our farm, and trust me tonight, as I was putting up, trying to put up a light in my living room, and that house of mine keeps fighting me tooth and nail. And I'm like, why did we ever buy this house? But, you know, I keep forgetting. It is a great gift that I'm able to do this. Every time we take advantage of our spouse and children, when we, when we instead, instead of turning to our family, we instead turn to our work and, and dive ourselves deep into our work when we forget the fact that as parents we are called to care for our children. Every time we take advantage of fields, livestock, and all property, every time we, we defy God. Every time we take advantage of what has been given to us, we forget it was God who gave it all to us freely. In addition, you know, Luther tells us that you know, God, the great creator of the universe, cares so much about you that he worries about the shoes on your feet. Do you all realize what that means? 
And I'm sure some of you think, well, Pastor Matt, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. It's kind of, it's kind of nice to know that God cares about the shoes on my feet. You know? But think about it. Who else cares about the shoes on your feet? I have been married to this woman for 12 years. She doesn't care about the shoes on my feet anymore. She gave up. She says, you want to look like an old man? Wear old man shoes. You are, you're, and she loves me with all of her heart, I hope. <laughs> you know? She doesn't care. Nobody else would. But God does. It's very humbling to remember that this God, who is the same God who created the heavens and the earth, who created the mountains and valleys and hills, the one who put the stars in the skies, the one who put all the fish in the sea, the one who created every living beast, who created every living thing, the one who hears all of our prayers, the one who has a lot on his plate, worries about the shoes on your feet. You know, God is not just, God is not only concerned with the things that are happening in Russia, Ukraine, Israel, Gaza, the Middle East, China, Taiwan, wherever you want to name. God's not only concerned about that, but he's also concerned about the shoes on your feet. How does one even respond to that? How does one even reciprocate to that? How does one even emulate that kind of care for someone else? I mean, we don't care about the shoes on one another's feet, let alone the beggar on the street. Yet somehow God not only cares about the big things, he also cares about the small, minute things as well. My brothers and sisters, if, if the Ten Commandments didn't humble you, this first article certainly does. Dr. Wenger says in his book, if we believe the simple words of the article, then we would be terrified given the actual experience with and use of these gifts. But we cannot be, believe it. And we go on us operating as if we are the center of the universe, as if we created life and meaning, and all the rest. But it gets worse. Second article of the Creed, on redemption. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. Basistas, what is this? I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father in eternity, and also true human being, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. He has redeemed me, also condemned human being. He has purchased and freed me from all sins, from death, and the power of the dead, not with gold or silver but with his incredibly precious blood, with his innocence and suffering and death. He has done all of this in order that I may belong to him, live under him in his kingdom, and serve him in eternal righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he is risen from the dead and lives and rules eternally. Certainly, well, isn't that just dandy? God not only cares about the shoes on your feet, but he's willing to sacrifice his only son for you. Just great, isn't it? But for Luther, it's, even, it's, it's deeper than that. And to understand Luther's explanation, we really need to understand some of the 16th sociology and context of his words. 
those, those three simple words, is my Lord, hold, hold significant sociological importance. When I say the word Lord, most of us as Americans assume that I'm talking about Jesus. And, and that's not a critique. That's, that's normal. We don't have lords in our society. The, the word Lord is a bit foreign to us. We have senators, delegates, representatives, burgesses, presidents, elected leaders. Not too many lords. But Luther had lords. A lord was a political figure. Lords were like mayors and governors. They would, they would enforce the law. They would protect citizens by locking up criminals. They would go to war if necessary to protect their citizens. They would also pay ransoms for people who were kidnapped. Now, if you were kidnapped and you would go and plead, okay, you would go, if you had someone who was kidnapped in your family, you would go to your lord and plead your case. Now, depending on how important you are to your lord would depend on how your lord responds. If you're a lowly peasant, eh, you're on your own. Pretty high, significant person in town, make sure that the town gets water and food. I might pay your ransom for that, right? There were a few times during Luther's life when he went to his lord to plead for protection of a friend or a family member. And Luther, being a larger-than-life figure, meant he had a pretty good chance of getting his friend or family member redeemed. So when you hear, hear Luther confess that Jesus is my Lord, how has Jesus as your Lord protected and saved you? For Luther, he says, he has purchased and freed me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. But remember what we just talked about in the first article, the Creed and the Ten Commandments. We rarely break God's law. We take advantage of all that God has given to us. We're not the, pick, the cream of the crop. But yet somehow God cares about the shoes in your feet, so God is going to do whatever it takes to ransom you. Now, now we got a problem. We got Jesus who is going to pay the ransom. But he's not going to pay with gold or silver. He's going to pay with his own life. How am I supposed to believe that? How am I supposed to, re to reciprocate that? Yet what did we just say at the end of this explanation? This is most certainly true. How is my faith in God the Father and God the Son even possible? How could I even merit or emulate God in this way? Well, I'm glad you asked. Third article of the Creed, on being made holy. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Basistas. I believe that by my own understanding or strength, I cannot believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But instead, the Holy Spirit has called me through the gospel. Enlightened me with his gifts, made me holy, and kept me in true faith, just as he calls, gathers, enlightens his holy, the whole Christian church on earth, and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one common true faith. Daily in this Christian church, the Spirit abundantly forgives all sins, mine and those of all believers. On the last day, the Holy Spirit will raise me. Believers, this is most certainly true. 
And dear friends, I told you I'm not for memorization, but if you had to choose one thing to memorize from the catechism, this is it. This is, this is it. Word for word. Memorize this. Remember it. Read it over and over again. The third article of the creed is how this is all made possible. It is through the Holy Spirit that we have the faith to believe in Jesus Christ, the true Son of God, begotten, not made of one being with the Father who created all things and give to us all that we need, even the very shoes on our feet. That is how this is most certainly true. Luther believed in something that Dr. Wengert calls the reverse trinity. It is with the Holy Spirit that we're able to make these powerful confessions. When we read this creed and make our own profession of faith, we are actually saying, I believe that I cannot believe. You know, we live in a time where many Christian churches ask its members, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? What's Luther's answer to that? No. The Holy Spirit has called me through the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, made me holy, and kept me in the true faith. And not just me, but the Holy Spirit does this for the whole church. The Holy Spirit brings us together. There is no personal Savior. Just Jesus, who redeemed the whole world and desires that we live in community with one another so that we might never be alone. The third article is actually the turning point of the entire catechism. This is where the gospel of law and gospel comes into its most clearest vision. Everything that follows prayer, sacraments, living in community, is precisely what happens to unbelievers when the Holy Spirit acts on them. The Holy Spirit's goal is to make you, us, me, holy, to forgive us and to give us life, full, abundant, and free life in Jesus Christ. Nothing can stand in the Holy Spirit's way in making the dead alive or giving you the faith to believe that God will love even a sinner like you, would send his son to pay the ransom and to give us his very essence to lead us and make us holy. The law has convicted us. The first two articles of the creed have sealed our fate, but it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are set free from the shackles and bondage of the law and are given the gift of forgiveness so that we might know God's grace and be sanctified, made holy, in order to share this good news with all the world. This fact, this good news, it is most certainly true.